The Faculty Futures Lab is a project of the SDSU Initiative for Inclusive Leadership, a faculty-led effort to grow capacity to lead within institutions of higher education in complex and uncertain times. Funded by the President's Budget Advisory Committee. Learn more at fa.sdsu.edu. All guests speak from their own expertise and experience, not for San Diego State University. Hi, everybody. I'm DJ Hopkins. I'm a professor in the School of Theater, Television, and Film at San Diego State University. And this is a kind of sequel of sorts. We're calling this episode, I'm Super Over It Too. And this is centering the adjunct perspective, the perspective of adjunct faculty at our universities. And I'm joined today by two colleagues, Tishna Assem and Dr. Katie Turner. Hi, Tishna. Hi, Katie. Hey, DJ. (laughs) Thank you both for joining me today. Tishna Assem is a lecturer in English and Comparative Literature at San Diego State University. Dr. Katie Turner is a lecturer and the undergraduate advisor in theater, also here at San Diego State. Welcome to you both. Katie, thank you so much for prompting me to make this sequel episode. Everybody, it was Katie who sent me a very friendly email right after our previous episode on uh, faculty feelings in this latest virtual semester. And Katie generously said, hey, great episode, and then followed up with, how about something from the lecturer perspective? (laughs) And I immediately thought, yeah, obviously, because that previous episode came out of a social media post from a friend of mine, and I pulled in two academic administrators with a lot of experience interacting with faculty, but that's still a pretty narrow circle. So thank you so much, Katie, for encouraging me to expand the circle. I appreciate being open to it because it's definitely two sides of the same coin and all uh, this experience, you know, we've been experiencing together, but how we interact and the, you know, frequency that you have to be on Zoom that oscillates greatly for lecturer faculty to tenure faculty. Oh, absolutely. And for the benefit of our listeners who aren't at our particular campus, on our campus, Lecturer is the term used to describe full or part-time adjunct instructors. I know that at other universities, lecturer is sometimes a professor of practice parallel to other faculty ranks. But on our campus, adjunct and lecturer are used almost interchangeably. So if you're listening Mm -hmm. from some other university, just be on the lookout for that. Katie, I'd like to start with you, and I'd like to ask you about your feelings so far in this latest pandemic semester? What was the virtual start of this pandemic semester like for you? Well, definitely different than it would have been if it was, we're going to be online all semester versus we just got to get through the first two and a half weeks. Um, I was definitely not surprised when they made the announcement. I wish I just assumed that's what we were going to do, actually. Uh, But there was a certain amount of... (laughs) psychological marshalling um, to meet the reality, Uh, just knowing how unenthused most of our students would be about it. Um, The prospect of two first days of class (laughs) instead of one first (laughs) day of class, knowing full well that it wouldn't be like we'd come to school on the first Tuesday or Monday or whatever of in-person, and then we'd just have our normal class day. So that was interesting trying to figure out how do you set the tone and the momentum of the course 
while yeah. also acknowledging that you're going to kind of be having this do-over uh, when you got to class. So from the start, you were already feeling a little trepidation, knowing that you'd start on virtual, which you hadn't planned for, and then you'd go back to face-to-face, which yeah. you had planned for, but not the pivot back. Yeah, right. And so it was like, okay, now I'm starting the semester with everyone in front of me and their names on their boxes. And then when I get to class, uh, their masks will be covering the half their faces. I won't have names on their boxes. And for me, learning the students' names is like a point of pride. It feels like yeah. if we can't get that far, how are we supposed to get to a point where we're you know, taking risks and being vulnerable with each other and talking about difficult topics? Like in my theater of diversity classes, you know, from day one, it's like, okay, let's face reality and talk intensely. So, uh, and then the prospect of, um, of working alone at home again, is definitely a little harder than I thought it would be. My partner was going out to work, uh, the ease of casual interactions of the fall, which we got to return to seeing people in the hallway, hearing them talking in your office. Um, that definitely hit me a little harder than I thought it would. That makes a lot of sense. It's weirder than any of the previous semesters or maybe just as weird, but differently Mm -hmm. weird. Differently weird. Mm-hmm. Tishna, does this sound familiar? This sounds so familiar, and I'm so glad that Katie said it so beautifully, this idea of two starts that feel as though they're supposed to somehow magically bridge whatever strangeness that was uh-huh. created with the virtual world, and then being back in sort of the 3D in person where you don't have the luxury of people's names visually, and you can't really see their faces. Uh, the, the good thing about that was that nobody could turn their camera off and okay. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so it was just sort of a strange bird. So I saved all of my icebreakers and sort of the getting to know you chit chat part of class. And I sort of extended that to the very first day huh. when we were back in person and just let them talk and just tried to create the community anew mm-hmm. that way. Tried to create the the community week three, week four that hadn't really had a chance to grow in the first virtual weeks. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yes. Uh, so that really is starting over again. It felt like it, especially because I tend not to be nervous that late in the semester. I tend not to be nervous early on also because we have that benefit of the, the sort of easy camaraderie. The classes I teach are fairly small. And as Katie mentioned, the idea of not knowing a student's name is a wall that then prevents the sort of the the free and open discourse, especially when you're talking about uncomfortable things and going to dark places in terms of analysis. Uh, So the idea that you don't have that connection felt uh, really disheartening and very flat. Especially for, for that point in the semester. Right. So well, I was nervous go? twice. <laughs> I was nervous. Oh, no. <laughs> I had that same feeling the Monday, the last Monday, a week ago, when I, the night before, I was like, gosh, why do I feel like this is the first day I've ever taught? <laughs> I felt the same way. Yeah, a little bit at sea. And um, I mean, it's so strange because we were, I don't know what your course load is, Tishna, but I have a full course load this semester. So I've teaching for, you know, online for 20 hours a week and like very much in the flow of the teaching job, but then just to feel wrong footed, I guess, after at a time where I guess you said it already, where you normally feel confident and everything's moving forward. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Wrong footed is a great description. How many classes are you teaching this semester? 
I have Katie. four. Oh, sorry. I have four. No, that's okay. Sometimes I have five, and this was kind of a break, which is nice. <laughs> four is a break. <laughs> yeah, that's something. We, and then maybe there's another episode in that. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm currently teaching four, and then the um, major advising is a course release for fifth equivalent. And that's the full time load. Yeah, that's a pretty heavy load. And uh, I know from my experience watching you, Katie, the amount of time it takes to um, provide academic advising is sometimes kind of open-ended. It's a big commitment because it also includes, uh, it seems to me, a high degree of emotional labor as well as just cranking out product. Right, which definitely in the spring of 2020 and fall of 2020 was the highest it's ever been. We're fortunate now to have a full-time staff advisor to support the major advising, which I can't even tell you night and day difference, uh, allowing time for thinking, processing, um, space between students that wasn't hasn't been possible for the last two years. So that's been a relief. And the virtual office hours actually speaking, you know, things that uh, I know we'll cover like things that work well from the pandemic times that that's made it a little easier. Um. <laughs> I, I agree completely. Virtual office hours uh, struck me as an idea whose time has come. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in semesters where I have a lot of actively engaged students, I spent way more than half my time alone in my office getting work done being productive, Mm -hmm. but also feeling a little bit like I could have been anywhere right now. And it's better, it seems from my students' perspective, why should they have to put on shoes, drive to campus, find a parking spot, schlep up to my office to ask me, does this look right? Could I, you know, is this a good thesis? Thanks so much. And then go home? No. We can all just (laughs) get on a Zoom, ask each other's questions, share screens, bye. Absolutely. That share so screen feature, yeah, the, the sharing the document in real time and working on edits with the student in the virtual space through Zoom has meant that more students come and ask for help because it's just so much easier. It really is. One of the things that I'm thinking in the background is when you said maybe another episode, we can talk about how four classes is a break. I think this is the episode. <laughs> Well, it's just one of the lessons coming out of this. One of the things that has come out of this is is that we have prioritized a lot uh, making things more equitable for our students, which is a wonderful thing. And one of the things that you said in your last episode that you were keeping as part of your pedagogical practice, which was um, is amazing. And I hope that that's a a common feeling across campus. But one thing that I haven't really felt is a... (laughs) Is a, is a lessening of expectations on the faculty side, the a recognition of labor in a time of uh, ongoing crisis, prolonged, multi-year, no-end-in-sight crisis. There's been no adjustment to expectations of workload except to increase them, except to increase the time and amount of time that you need to spend um, making things different and better for our students or more shared governance work or even coming down into the lecture level where we are not evaluated or compensated for, or, you know, uh, promoted based on service. It's all on teaching there, but to be more and more part of our community is the call, which is all of us want to be 
which is yeah. part of being a great about being a full-time lecturer is that you finally are like, oh, okay, I'm in this. I'm not just kind of an appendage on the end of the, the body of the school. You're like central and, and important, but then you have this pressure to like keep working more and harder. How, what is the expectation here? And is it actually equitable? That's an excellent point, Katie, that you made. all your points are excellent. While we don't formally as lecturers have the same quote unquote responsibilities or pressures of publication, mm -hmm. many lecturers still do pursue research and still do publish. And we don't have the same uh, committee's uh, responsibilities and things that we have to do for individual departments as a service component. But at the same time, we carry, my understanding at SDSU is that lecturers teach more than 50% of the classes that are taught by uh, across the board. And so my understanding of the workload is uh, shifting because, as Katie mentioned earlier, the, the, the idea of emotional labor, we have so much more contact with our students now in the, uh, in the space where they're sort of in my house and I'm in their house. And there's that weird intimacy that then promotes this sense that they feel, and I'm grateful that they feel that they can talk to me, but it creates that additional workload, um, one that I don't want to give up the one that still isn't often recognized. Tishna, you're so right. And at about 50%, SDSU is actually doing better than a lot of our peers in California or nationally, where the percentage of adjunct faculty is well over 70%. That's very telling in terms of how labor and uh, how evaluations are made and how determinations are made or what, what really should be student-focused. And for lecturers who are interested in moving to a ladder-rank tenure-track position, either on our campus or somewhere else, there's a catch-22. Oh, absolutely. If you're, <laughs> if you're teaching four or five classes and occasionally showing up to faculty meetings of one sort or another, it's a huge time burden. As Tishna said earlier, there are some lecturers who are still research active, but that's incredibly hard to maintain when you're teaching four or five classes. But when you're on the job market, if you aren't research active, you're less competitive. So it becomes this really difficult balancing act that I, that I know from my own past experience is mentally and emotionally and even physically exhausting. Right. So pre-pandemic, you had a little more time and energy because you weren't dealing with the ongoing pressures of everything since 2020. So compensating and using your outside time to do the practice or research or, um, you know, the, th the service on top of your teaching loads so you could stay competitive and stay ready for those, you know, because I, I don't know about Tishna, but I get the higher ed jobs emails every week, like what's available, what should I be thinking about? I don't know about anyone else, but the first year of the pandemic, no practice or research was done hardly at all because there just wasn't, I was at my desk at my house 10 to 12 hours a day, just trying to uh, do triage. I agree with that. And there was really no opportunity or breathing space for us to try new things, even in the teaching that we already do, uh, mm. a new text or, or re reformatting assignments just didn't feel uh, accessible. I was just really in triage mode, trying to just keep up. So what mode are you in now? As we've pivoted back 
to face-to-face at this point in the pandemic, anticipating that we're going to stay face-to-face, fingers crossed. (laughs) Are you looking forward to anything? I am. I have a great deal of hope and optimism, and that might just be that I'm one of those looking for the silver lining (laughs) kind of people. But I feel that this this shift back into uh, back into the face to face teaching has helped me re-examine a lot of the things. Certainly, the pandemic helped me re-examine a lot of things in my teaching and to focus mm-hmm. on certain things and to let the rest of it, sort of the noise, the extra assignments, the busy work, just to let that go. And really, yeah. I mean, initially it was out of necessity because libraries were closed and getting research done was much harder for students and for myself. But I think the the idea that we can go back out into the world, I have assignments planned where students have to go to the library and find mm-hmm. certain things. It's almost like a scavenger hunt and they loved it. <laughs> uh, they, I think that the idea that we are needing to maintain our flexibility, our sense of humor and our sense of grace that we grant to each other and to ourselves, I think that's always going to be skill sets that we need to have at the ready, because who knows what the next changes will be, pandemic or not. So I think going forward, I'm really excited about being back in person, because I think the the community that you can build, and then therefore the analysis that you can create with that community, is so much deeper than two-dimensional. Oh, that's really lovely. Katie, how about you? Well, I share Tishna's optimism, and I'd add to that a feeling of relief. Uh, I'm so grateful every day that we're on campus and I can meet with people, and um, I rely a lot on humor in my teaching style and just the, the simplicity of a class laughing at all at the same time, especially when it helps break a moment of tension. It's, that happened like on day one back to campus and I just, I felt my whole body relax a little bit. I totally agree, Katie, that sense of relief when everybody's like, the vibe is good. And you're like, okay, great. Awesome. Let's, let's lean into that. Yeah. 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 And then when you make that great joke on Zoom and you, like, oh, you can't see anybody, you're just nobody, like, oh. I can see I don't like, even realize I'm joking anymore. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll say something funny on Zoom. I'll say, I'll say something that it seems funny to me, but I'm sort of like looking at my hands or looking at my keyboard. And then I realize, oh, all my students are sort of silently going like this. Yeah. And I, and I have a moment of, is he okay? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, oh, they're all laughing. I must've said something funny, but I can't tell. So you're so right, Katie, when you're in a room, we're all breathing each other's germs with or without the N95s and there's a laugh. It communicates in a way that um, humor over Zoom simply doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a wonderful thing. Such a wonderful thing that I took for granted before, for sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I also share Tishna's uh, realization or commitment to uh, letting go of what can be let go of. Um, my class line, my class planning is so much more streamlined, uh, fewer assignments, but the ones that I keep, I feel are the most meaningful. Um, and finding different ways to incorporate uh, some online tools in the in the live classroom in ways I didn't used to do before. I feel like so proud of myself. I have so much flexibility and like uh, knowledge that I didn't have before about how to, you know, different ways to approach, um, in-person teaching. And so just that feeling of gratitude and, you know, that things are only better than they were before. Um, 
from a teaching standpoint, and hopefully the professional expectations get in line with that over time. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you so much, Tishnit. Thank you, DJ, and thank you, Katie. I feel like the opportunity to, to talk from our perspective has been very rewarding, and I really appreciate the space. Okay. We're joined now by Ken Arnold. Hi, Ken, and thanks for making time this morning. Thank you. Ken is a lecturer in the electrical and computer engineering department at San Diego State University. He's also an engineering consultant, author, entrepreneur, and the founder and head of HTE Consulting Services. Ken, I'm so glad you could join us. So the question this morning is, um, how's the semester going? (laughs) I mean, subjectively, has it been just another day at the virtual office for you? Or has this fifth COVID-impacted semester felt different? Well, yes, it's different because of the transition kind of in the other direction from what we had at the beginning in spring of 2020. Um, But I'm really pretty lucky. It hasn't been that big of a transition either way for me because Mm -hmm. I've actually been teaching courses online since the early 90s when I was teaching at uh, UCSD. I taught some of the very first UC online courses. And (laughs) so since I've been doing it for a while, I'm kind of used to it um, and compared to a lot of other folks, hasn't been a big problem. That's why I think that's part of the reason why they invited me to do uh, part of the faculty course design institute that had to do with labs and things like that. Oh, so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm lucky. And, uh, and because right. I teach electrical and computer engineering courses, you know, engineers are in front of their computer all the time. So they're sort of used to that. It's not like we had to get them up to speed because they're already there. And so in a lot of respects, you know, I was lucky and dealing with computers and some of the courses that I teach being computer oriented, you know, a lot of the potential barriers are already taken care of. So for me, relatively speaking, this hasn't been a bad semester. And I've always sort of taught a hybrid of live and online anyway, since, you know, way back. And that makes the transition quite a bit easier for me. So, you know, unlike a lot of other people, I haven't had to struggle nearly as much to learn tools and all that. You know, when we retreated from campus in March of 2020, Katie taught me (laughs) how to use Zoom. I didn't even know what it was. But also this mid-semester transition, it doesn't feel back to normal. It feels back to weird. How have your students adapted? You know, our students generally have adapted pretty well. Um, I know that just kind of looking at the results of the students who started in our program pre-pandemic had to sort of struggle through the switches in going online in 2020. And now our seniors that I'm advising, um, clearly, you know, they're fairly flexible. um, And they're, you know, one of the things that you you know, if you're going to be uh, successful in life, I think, and certainly as an engineer, um, you have to be adaptable, right? I mean, that's what sets us apart as a species, I think, is the fact that we're adaptable. And I've noticed that the students have adapted pretty well. They may not always like what they have to do or the, the venue that we have or the mechanisms that we have to use, but they are remarkably resourceful. And in that respect, I'm optimistic, right? I think the students are pretty good at adapting Actually, I think in a lot of respects, it's easier for them to adapt. And I have a college-age kids myself. So, you know, watching them versus watching people who are in my age bracket, for instance, don't adapt nearly as well. And I think that's also part of the reason why a substantial 
portion of our older faculty just said, you know what, <laughs> retirement is good for me. I'm going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can understand that. It's actually interesting that you say all of that because that was one of the things I was most interested in from the uh, engineering and general, I guess, sciences perspective was when we transitioned in the arts and humanities, a lot of the tools that are built into things like Zoom were very amenable to lecture and demonstrate, you know, lecture and discussion. And um, I actually thought that my acting classes would be the hardest thing to adapt, but those actually ended up being mm-hmm. the easiest things. Uh, really? For yeah, for a student, I guess it was physical. As long as people had a little space, they could engage and forget about the hmm. screen. In my lecture courses, it was like dead space where there's usually live bodies, and it was a little harder. Our students, yeah. we made it happen. But so I was curious in engineering, and maybe in your classes is a little different, Ken, because you're saying mostly computer oriented anyway. But you know, when you're doing things like working through long formulas or needing to demonstrate things in real time, applications of theories? Did you find that there was a lot of scrambling and figuring out how to replicate that that was easier in the live experience? Or is it seems like maybe there was tools already in place? So it, that's kind of a yes and no answer. There are some things uh, I kind of view it as, you know, got to use the right tool, you know, don't try to eat your soup with a fork. Don't try to eat your salad <laughs> with a spoon, right? It's not going to work. So a lot of the teaching tools that I've used, uh, I've felt for a long time, you know, match the tool to the problem, right? And there are some things that go pretty smoothly um, if you kind of are prepared and have thought about it. And that was, I think that was one of the big problems with the pandemic is the vast majority of us hadn't really spent a whole lot of time thinking about this as a possible contingency, right? Everybody was kind of in that, ah! mode right uh, i don't know about you but I, yes, you know, very I accurate. <laughs> uh, so you know i think the the students again were not just flexible but um were also kind of encouraged in some ways i had found in the online courses um that i'd already noticed that it's much easier to get students to ask questions if they can ask privately and chat to me and don't have to like embarrass themselves in front of the rest of the class. And I understand that. I mean, I was one that frequently sat in the back of the room and didn't raise my hand for fear of looking like an idiot by asking a dumb question. And I know a lot of students really are reluctant to, especially, you know, some, one of my classes, I've got 120 students, you know, nobody wants to raise their hand and, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, online, when they can send a private chat, hey, Professor Ken, uh, could you go over that last thing again? I know there's like another 100 students with the same request, right? They just haven't had the courage to ask. And I think in that respect, it's a good thing, right? Um, in fact, when I'm live in lecture, it, it's you, there's no real good equivalent. There's some sort of things like that, but it's really hard as a you know, when I'm standing there and trying to explain a concept, you know, I can't put one eye on the class, one eye on my slides or whatever software I'm using, and another eye on the chat box, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. not going to happen. And so because of that cognitive overload, um, I can only kind of concentrate with who I have in front of me pretty much. Um, There are some faculty that can maybe do more than one, but I'm I'm not one of those, right? So I I really love the chat box. Last semester when we were face-to-face, I, I, I missed the chat box. And I ended up teaching hybrid in my lecture class. But, of course, it was only the students who stayed home and were on Zoom who could use the chat box. And I tried to use, like, 
Twitter or I tried to encourage the students who were live in the room to also get on the Zoom so they could use the chat. Uh, they generally didn't. It's a great way for students who don't normally raise their hands for whatever reason to actually engage in the class. I just found different students participated than the students who already walk into the room with a sense of confidence that they can raise their hand in front of 60 other people. Hey, Ken, let's talk about the future. I know that you said you've been teaching online for decades. This was all new to me. So all the tools that I've learned in the pandemic are things that I'm excited to bring into my teaching in the future. I almost said post-pandemic. I don't know that that's really going to ever be a thing. <laughs> but Ken, what, what have you learned during these past, let's say, four and a half semesters that um, might be something of value that you're going to hang on to, whether it's in the classroom or as a professional engineer or, or, or? Well, I think probably one of the most important things is perspective, right? Um, my perspective has changed how I look at things. And, you know, others have said similar things like Michael Borgstrom and his, you know, yeah. compassion for the students. And, you know, I, I've seen it happen in my kids who are taking college classes and we're doing it online. And holy crap, I just spilled my coffee in the keyboard and my computer went right in the middle of the exam. And, oh, what do I do now? You know, that's that happens, right? That stuff happens. Wow. And so mm -hmm. I do think that's a that's an area that uh, has changed kind of the way I look at things. And a lot of times the way I approach students and some of them have had, you know, I know I've had this sort of issue before, probably the you know, most extreme example was uh, when I was teaching at UCSD and it was an evening course. And um, I unfortunately witnessed this pedestrian getting hit by a truck and he looks up at me and says, Professor Ken, I'm going to be late on my project. And I'm like, don't worry about it. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, Let, let's get a happy ending out of that story. <laughs> and did the student turn the project in on time? That's what student, I want to know. The student got an incomplete and turned it in later. But uh, no, the bottom line was, you know, he did fine uh, in the end. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know. But his anxiety was so high that his first thought was not get me to a hospital. It was I need to turn in my project on time. <laughs> yes, I recognize exactly. that. Well, Ken, <laughs> I really appreciate your time today. And absolutely, I think regardless of whatever online tools we may have used, compassion is definitely something of value that uh, is worth carrying out of these times into whatever the future holds for us. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. Katie, since you prompted this episode in the first place, I want to give you the last word. As we look to the next part of the pandemic, and let's hope it's the denouement and not like act four. What will the new normal look like? And I'm thinking specifically, what will it look like for you and other adjunct faculty? Well, uh, as far as what I would really like to see, I would love to see the rhetoric about compassion that has infused this way into a lot of our, how we're you know, looking to treat students, I'd love for that to come back to faculty as well, through specifically through an investment in, in more faculty, enlightening 
loads all around. Um, smaller classes, being able to engage with our students more one-on-one -on -one through smaller enrollments, uh, smaller course load for full-time status. Yeah. To just be able to, there's so much rhetoric about work-life balance and take care of yourself, et cetera, but then the demands, especially as the pandemic continues to go on personally and professionally, you just keep growing. Our technological proficiency is expected to keep developing so many more resources to take try to take into account as you mm -hmm. revise your classes to be more inclusive and how I can't go to the Center for Teaching and Learning and take a workshop. When am I going to do that? It's on very top of five classes. So, in a recognition that uh, adjunct faculty would now, as we talked about earlier, represent nationwide the majority of faculty in higher education, that we are essential to how it all works. If you're going to have students at your core, which is part of our mission here at SDSU, you have to have faculty at your mm -hmm. core, and that has to extend mm -hmm. to all levels. We need to really evaluate um, what is it about a full full-time teaching load that makes it monetarily less valuable than a tenure-track load. It doesn't seem to extend in both directions, the equal consideration for students and for faculty and the recognition of uh, or the, the classification of faculty into two different levels is really going to continue. But I'd love for it to be uh, just a reevaluation in terms of from a humane point of view. I'm not sure if that makes sense. So trying to find a future in which adjunct faculty are paid a fair wage and asked to do fewer things to get there. Seems like the compassionate learning outcome from these pandemic days. Yeah. Thank so, so thank you for this opportunity to share this perspective and for revisiting, you know, this side of the of the faculty situation in these pandemic times. Appreciate that, DJ. Thank you so much, Katie. My pleasure.